This is Nursing Australia, proudly brought to you by APNA, the Australian Primary Healthcare Nurses Association. Welcome to Nursing Australia. This is the first episode of this exciting new podcast made for Australian nurses. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to have you here joining us. This podcast I'm going to take a nursing term. It's going to be very holistic. And so basically what we're going to do is take deep dives into different topics affecting nursing and healthcare, but do it in a bunch of different ways. So in each episode of Nursing Australia, we'll keep you up to date with the latest nursing news you need to know. You'll hear powerful interviews, education segments, and we'll bring you stories from nurses on the front line of Australian healthcare. So it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be lots of different things. And that's why I know you're going to love it. My name is Nurse Robbie, and I'll be one of your hosts for this podcast. I'm a primary healthcare nurse. My background is general practice and sexual health. And I'm also a speaker, presenter, and writer across a bunch of different topics. Things like emotional intelligence, leadership, LGBTQI health, climate change. It will become pretty clear pretty quickly that I'm basically just a sassy loudmouth who is passionate about a bunch of different things. But really at the core of all of that, I'm passionate about nursing. I'm passionate about this wonderful wonderful profession and I just want nurses to feel really empowered to think of themselves as change makers and to practice to the full breadth of their scope and I also want the decision makers in healthcare to pay better attention we are 50% of the global health workforce and if resourced and supported properly gosh we could just be so innovative and and such a force within this space and we're such an untapped resource In this episode, we hear from an APNA member that has been on the front line of the Victorian COVID-19 crisis, working in the Housing Commission towers that were put into hard lockdown. I genuinely, as a nurse, felt like I was putting everything I had into this pandemic. And then when I got COVID-19, that I was ditched aside and said, well, you're used now. Used, good. Come back when you're new again. We hear about the concerning drop in childhood immunisations due to COVID-19. We have heard from some families Uh, who anecdotally have had difficulty physically getting into their GP and particularly during the lockdown period. Then we discuss the future of primary healthcare nursing in a post-COVID world. I think it's a really good opportunity for primary healthcare nurses to step up and be seen, valued, visible and respected. Finally, we're going to be joined by nurse Sarah Cosgrave, who will take us through a five-minute guided meditation, specifically designed to help nurses de-stress in this crazy pandemic time which I can tell you is something that I desperately need, so I hope you will be sticking with me to the end of the episode. First, in every episode of Nursing Australia, we're going to start with the news that is relevant to you. So what's going on in the news? Calls for more skilled nurses in aged care to stop the COVID-19 spread. Fresh data on the effect of coronavirus on the nursing workforce and eye protection for all Victorian GP nurses becomes mandatory. This is Nursing Australia News. Hello, I'm Tony Wells. Australia's mounting coronavirus death toll in privately run aged care centres has prompted calls for the sector to employ more skilled nurses. So far, more than 270 aged care residents in Victoria and New South Wales have died from COVID-19 and thousands more have been infected. Most deaths have been in privately run aged care homes, prompting criticism of the sector for putting profit ahead of quality care. It's felt that many of these deaths could have been avoided if more nurses skilled in infection control had been employed in the first place. 
Senior Counsel assisting the Aged Care Royal Commission, Peter Rosen QC, says the dire figures represent the consequences of a shortage of clinical skills in aged care homes. Mr Rosen says this is the result of a system in which providers have the ultimate say concerning the numbers and skill mix of their workforce and can choose between paying the hourly rate of a university-educated nurse and that of a care worker with or without a Certificate 3. Meanwhile, a registered nurse with experience in aged care shines a light on the situation in this interview broadcast by ABC. In the public sector, we get extensive training in infection control. We have uh, an infection control nurse that, you know, oversees the guidelines are implemented correctly. If there is an issue in a facility, we can call them in and say, you know, are we dealing with this okay? APNA's latest pulse check survey has found nearly 20% of primary healthcare nurses in Victoria and New South Wales have had their hours cut during COVID-19. Most of these nurses were working in general practice where business has been affected by public reaction to the pandemic's second wave. The survey, conducted in August, attracted more than 670 responses. PPE was another issue of concern, with 28% of nurses saying they didn't have access to adequate supplies of protective equipment. Meanwhile, in Victoria, nurses in general practices must now wear eye protection for all face-to-face care, whether patients have COVID-19 symptoms or not. The new guidelines from the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services also state goggles and face shields must be replaced or cleaned at least every four hours and after a health worker assists with an aerosol generating procedure. This follows growing numbers of healthcare worker infections in Victoria and evidence showing that coronavirus can bind to receptors in the eyes. And it's over to New Zealand now, where thousands of primary healthcare nurses are expected to strike for better pay on September the 3rd. The Day of Action has been organised by the New Zealand Nurses Association as part of a national wage campaign involving 3,200 nurses and administrative staff working at medical centres across the country. Experienced nurses in these centres typically earn 10.5% less than a hospital nurse and some receptionists are paid lower than the living wage. Nurses are being advised to put their health first for a change in the lead-up to Women's Health Week this year. It's being held across Australia from the 7th to the 11th of September. Organisers say it's a timely reminder for nurses to book their own health checks now. APNA has teamed up this year with Jean Hales for Women's Health to promote the week and encourage women and girls to take control of their health. APNA President Karen Booth says the campaign is a reminder that self-care is just as important for nurses as it is for patients. Find out more on the APNA website, where you can also see details of a special Women's Health Week offer for nurses who are APNA members. As nurses, we do anything that we can to help others. During this pandemic, nurses all around the world have brushed aside the fear and gone to work to serve their communities. Aged care, disability and mental health nurse and APNA member Amy Sibson understands that more than most. She worked at the Melbourne Housing Commission Towers that the government put into hard lockdown and then caught COVID in the line of duty. This is Amy's story. I don't think the world's ever going to be the same after this, but it's been a hectic six months. Lost my position um, in February because of COVID-19 because I, I was in supported accommodation. I was a clinical care manager in supported accommodation. So that was devastating in itself. Then everything changed from that moment. That's when everything changed for everyone. Then I had to really ground myself and say, well, you're a nurse, you're going to have work because it's a pandemic. 
I mean, that's what this is our this is our time to shine, <laughs> so to say. And I think it was the next day I sat down and, and went thought, well, I'm not going to work today. So <laughs> what do I do? Um, yeah. So I sat down and had my breakfast and I thought, well, what if it, I suppose I've got to start looking for a job. We got an email to say that they wanted a registry of all nurses that were interested in being part of the task force. Health gave me an email and said, can you come down and see us tomorrow? Sign up, do an orientation and off we went on to the field. And then we did all this training, the COVID training and um, SWAT training and off we went. The Towers was one of the more high paced, emotional jobs that I've done recently. And then when people started dying, people were scared. There was a lot of fear down there, a lot of um, cultural needs that we needed to look at. I was proud to do it, to be honest. I felt that this was part of why I became a nurse 15 years ago. And it was because in times like this that we need people to step up. I did it so that my family, my friends would feel better that somebody's doing something, that something that it's going to end, that um, this is not the end of the world and we are going to get through it. And so I thought, if I go and join the task force, then I'm doing my part in being part of that. And I think that I'm very proud about doing that. I'm very um, proud to be a nurse at the moment. Of course, the, the testing's um, not mandatory. You, you, it's voluntary. And so we had a lot of refusals. And so we would, I think the first day we went up there, most people said, no, I'm not getting that done. And I'd try and explain to them how beneficial it was for the community, for the flats, how to have it done and um, if there was positive what supports we could bring to them um, to have them isolating and we could support them really well if we knew that they were positive and still you got a lot of refusals now when it started to increase in number and positives and we'd do the but we'd start at the bottom and work our way top again um, and start asking again would you like to test and they they started saying yes and started coming around and eventually they were coming to us and say can I please be tested so I mean that was a very good different change of attitude towards it and I'm but I, I think it was dri driven by fear we had regular COVID tests, the staff. So we'd have um, one or two tests a week. We are straight bang in the middle of clusters testing. So there's we're a high risk of getting the infection. So um, yeah, I tested twice a week. So my test that came back on the 20th, I'd only had one, I think four days earlier that was negative. Department of Health and Human Services give you a call up. They told me that I was a COVID positive case and um, that I needed to immediately isolate. My mind immediately went to everyone else, actually. And they said, and I thought, oh, who have I been in close contact with? Who should I uh, call? But then, then DHS were actually very good because they explained to me that I didn't need to actually inform anyone. Um, and that's what their contact tracing team does. At that stage, I didn't cry. I thought I went into overdrive where I went, okay, um, I needed to decide what to do about my daughter. So I decided that she was going to go with my father because she was, if she's negative and I'm positive, I didn't want to expose her to it. Uh, she's too young to be able to actually look after herself in a different room in the house. So I immediately got onto that and um, my dad came down and um, took her, but he, I'd also been in close con contact with my father who has got immune deficiency disorder. So my, my fear was, oh, if he gets it, he's going to get really, really, really crook. He doesn't have an immune system to fight it. So um, it was about getting those two tested because mainly my main, my main focus was to get my daughter tested and get my dad tested. It was very surreal um, because I, I felt like I, I had this stamp on my head that I was positive, I was a COVID positive, and this is a COVID positive case because that, that's what they refer to you as. You are a COVID positive case, and I, I was like, but I don't feel any different, and I didn't, I didn't feel any different. Now, about three days later, I started to get sore chest, and 
I started getting um, bad congestion and headaches and body aches and fever. Um, mind you, mine was very mild compared to the other cases I've seen, and I was only sick for maybe a few days. And then I got better and um, isolated for beyond 14 days. Most people get very, very, very sick with it, and I wasn't like that. It's been a massive emotional roller coaster the whole time. I got lost in the DHS system where I just get a text message every day, but nobody would actually call me to clear me to get out. So I was in isolation 26 days. The left hand wasn't talking to the right hand, and I was getting information from one person that was different from information from the other person. And it, it felt very confusing and very, very hard. It, and being a healthcare worker, that I wanted to do something about it, but I can't, I'm in isolation. I have to stop. There are certain times that nurses have to actually stop being nurses and being patient. I'm going back to work tomorrow and I'm very keen to get back to work because I feel like my place is to, to get and tell our community members, make them safer, tell them what they need to do so we can stop the pandemic. We need to stop the pandemic. We need to flatten the curve again and we need to get back to normal life. And I need to be out there and educating them. I feel like that's my, my part. That's where I need to be right now. Um, I, I don't feel like a hero, but I do feel like this is what 15 years of experience in nursing has brought me to. I think it's, it's always going to come down to the medical staff. It's going to come down to nurses and how they um, work with the departments in providing what we need to be able to get the data to be able to stop the pandemic. So what it comes down to is knowing what it is, where it is, and how we're going to stop it. In those 26 days that Amy was in her bungled isolation, she received no support from the government. She wrote a letter to Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews. A copy of the letter can be found in the show notes of this episode. It is an incredibly powerful piece of writing. It's an incredible act of advocacy, and I implore you to read it. Amy is yet to receive a reply to her letter from the Premier. We'll be right back. Calling on all Victorian primary healthcare nurses, including general practice, to pay it forward and host a student nurse for their three-week placement. As an incentive, your workplace will receive $300 for each student you host. Placements commence early September. To find out more and register, head to www.apna.asn.au. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. COVID-19 has thrown a spanner into the works across the world, which uh, is actually the biggest understatement I've ever said in my life. It basically tipped the toolbox upside down into the works of the world. And that is especially true in the healthcare space. We've experienced many patients not wanting to attend their GP clinic, go to see their specialist or attend a hospital when they are in need of care. Because, of course, they're scared of transmission and so they're limiting themselves accessing essential health services. Recently... The World Health Organization released a statement reinforcing that immunizations are essential, even during the current COVID-19 pandemic. They said that disruption to immunization schedules, even for brief periods, will result in increased numbers of susceptible individuals and raise the likelihood of outbreak-prone vaccine-preventable diseases. This is a massive concern, especially when it comes to kids who are one of the most vulnerable populations when it comes to vaccine-preventable diseases. During the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been reports of some parents who normally support vaccination, but now again kind of recoil at the idea of taking their kid to a doctor's office or an immunization clinic because they're scared of transmission of coronavirus. Anecdotally, we are hearing there has been a drop in Australian early childhood vaccinations. 
Joining us now to talk more about this issue is Dr. Kediki Sharma, who is the staff specialist at the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance. Dr. Sharma, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Is the data that we currently have showing a decrease in childhood vaccinations since COVID-19 arrived in Australia? In terms of seeing a decrease because of COVID-19, it's hard to say yet because that data is still currently being collected and analysed. So hopefully sometime within the next few months, um, we'll be able to give you some more information. We do know that immunisation providers have made a mammoth effort to still continue to get infants vaccinated on time. Um, But we have heard from some families uh, who anecdotally have had difficulty physically getting into their GP and particularly during the lockdown period. Oh, right. Okay. And well, then how concerning is it that families are having issues getting into their GP or immunisation clinics? Yeah, it's certainly concerning. We've been lucky in Australia because our overall case numbers to date have been low. Um, But when you look at other countries where they've had um, much wider prevalence of of COVID-19 and they've confirmed that, that there's been a drop in their infant vaccination programs, you would then have to worry about the re-emergence of some of those diseases for which we currently have really good control, including things like rotavirus or measles. So I think in Australia, we're very fortunate to have such an excellent health system, public health system and primary care health system um, that hopefully we will escape without having to deal with those issues. But it is critical that we maintain um, the routine infant vaccines because we do rely on that herd immunity. Thank you, Dr Sharma, for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. For healthcare professionals, there is a link in the show notes which will take you to more information about rotavirus and the rotavirus vaccine. Nursing Australia, the podcast for Australian nurses working together towards a healthier Australia. Aptus Nurse Support Line provides primary healthcare nurses with access to timely, relevant and accurate advice, resources and referrals. The Nurse Support Line is a member-only service delivered by expert primary healthcare nurses. APNA Nurse Support operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm. Call 1300 303 184 to speak with one of our expert nurse consultants today. Welcome back. I am very excited for this next segment of the podcast. I'm going to facilitate a panel discussion about the future of primary healthcare nursing in a post-COVID world. And I'm going to do that with two incredible primary healthcare nursing advocates. It's really bizarre to think that during a pandemic, right, so during a healthcare crisis, there are nurses who have actually lost their jobs as businesses and organisations tighten their belts to weather the economic storm. It, It feels really surreal and really bizarre of all the people that you would think would retain employment it would be nurses this workforce that we desperately need and are already short-staffed in Um, and I know that's that's true beyond primary health care I have lots of friends and colleagues who are acute care or hospital nurses and with elective surgeries being cancelled and hospitals kind of limiting rosters and not using the casual pool this is something that's affecting nurses worldwide across all disciplines but in terms of primary health care, once this is all over uh, and there's no real normal to return to, right? Like we've learned too much, we've come too far. But I suppose once we get to a point where we're no longer sort of reacting to the pandemic and being subjugated by the pandemic, but instead in a way where we're more on top of it, what is the legacy of COVID-19 on my career, on your career and on the livelihoods of all primary health care nurses across Australia? To discuss this idea and to share what APNA has been doing to protect and grow our profession, I'm joined by APNA founder and nurse ambassador Sam Moses and APNA program manager, nursing and primary health care, Lisa Collison. 
Oh my gosh, Sam and Lisa, thank you both so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Thanks, Robbie. APNA has been significantly engaged in COVID-19 and supporting primary healthcare nurses. Uh, In fact, I think as far as healthcare organisations in Australia go, it's done a a really phenomenal job at trying to keep its members abreast of what's happening and, and advocate for them. If you take a step back for a moment, what do you both think we've learned? Uh, look, I think we've learnt a lot, <laughs> lots and lots of things. Um, I think we've learnt the value of, of the health workforce. Um, I think we've learnt to do things differently uh, because we've been forced to. Uh, and sometimes that's what it takes. You know, it takes a crisis sometimes to, to make you think differently um, to be able to, to manage new situations that, you know, that we're faced with. Um, there's been a few things that we've learnt that, that weren't expected. And these include, um, as, as you mentioned, Robbie, you know, in the introduction, um, nurses, some, of, some nurses, especially in general practice, had their hours reduced, um, you know, and had even lost their jobs in some cases. And you just wouldn't think logically that in a pandemic, um, nurses um, would, would have their hours reduced or, or lose their jobs. It just doesn't sort of make sense, really. <laughs> and Lisa, what about you? Yeah, I, I look, I guess the, um, there's been a lot of changes. As Sam said, uh, there's been the rise of digital behaviour, like remote working, as we're all doing, and remote learning, what that looks like, telemedicine, how we deliver services. I think it showed some gaps in our systems as we'll probably get to later, but, you know, in terms of our legislation and our federated states, I guess it's fair to say that um, the coordination of some systems has been problematic across Australia, and I think it's highlighted some of the areas where we have only, we have so disconnected ourselves in our health system that even our one source of um, connection across across Australia isn't able to be utilised to its full breadth. And I'm talking about my health record um, where, you know, it's got had the capacity or could have the capacity, yet it's not being able to be leveraged um, and get any, you know, benefits from it. So, I mean, you both make such excellent insights. And so clearly there's a lot that we've learned from this and there's a lot of change. Do you think that Australia's understanding of healthcare has changed? Well, yes, I do. I do think that it's changed. Um, I think they are probably questioning things a lot more than they used to. Um, you know, certainly in general practice, um, with the introduction of more telehealth and with nurses' access to telehealth, uh, they now have, well, they always had the option to use telehealth, but I guess it's really come to the front of how care's been delivered. So, you know, I think they're sort of wondering why wasn't this, you know, happening earlier, I guess, um, because it has has been, you know, difficult. I think the um, the importance of the healthcare workers, um, particularly nurses, a bit like the firemen, um, you know, in the bushfires, um, you know, who wants to be a fireman in a bushfire? You know, who, who wants to be a nurse in, in COVID-19? It's, I think, you know, that the community really... Uh, do value um, the work that the nurses have been doing to try and keep them safe and putting themselves on the front line, um, you know, when when it's just such a contagious um, contagious virus. So I, I do think that um, Australia's understanding of healthcare has changed in that way. I think um, 
we've also seen um, the health system move slightly quicker than it would traditionally take at the federal government level. Um, you know, we, APNA advocates for nurses who work in primary health care very strongly um, about different issues, you know, and one of them is access to telehealth. And it's amazing what a government can do in a crisis when it has to, and it has to make those decisions quickly. And I think tele, telehealth is a good reflection of that. Yeah, telehealth has absolutely been a good reflection of that. I think um, it, it is amazing how it was something that was debated for a really long time and then, like, boom, in a crisis, we have this huge prevalence of telehealth now, which has made essential health care a lot more accessible. And that comes from a lot of advocacy from healthcare groups as well to the government. And on the advocacy note, Lisa, can you give us an overview of what APNA has been doing to represent primary health care nurses during COVID-19? Look, APNA's been working really, really hard to ensure that the voice of a primary health care nurse has been heard and, you know, like advocated for all the wonderful work that they do, you know, including telehealth, trying to access PPE, trying to keep our nurses safe because if you have your nurses and other clinical and other staff safe, then they can provide what our communities need the most is really good quality um, care. We've worked with um, state and federal governments um, regularly. We're in regular contact with them uh, with data to inform their policy decisions. Through, we've done a pulse check survey on regular um, intervals and also looking at our APNA workforce survey data, which really helps inform a lot of um, policy areas in primary health care nursing in particular. Of course, we've done our members and all primary health care nurses are supported through the nurse support line. Um, we've launched new mod modules around the telehealth, for example, just giving nurses that confidence to go forward and deliver some of the care, the important work that they do through, through that. Um, we did a thanks Aussie nurses, um, bit of fun, bit of celebrity um, thanking nurses for all the work that they've, they've done um, and really nice to give them a boost and let them know that people actually do care. We've also been really involved with the development of the COVID-19 evidence-based guidelines task force. Um, we want to ensure that we have the best guidelines and real time to inform clinical care so that our nurses delivering the care can be, you know, confident that they're doing the right thing. Awesome, Lisa. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, it's APNA has obviously been doing so much in the space to try and promote and advocate for primary healthcare nurses. So I'm wondering what you both think in terms of this profession. Like when everything is said and done and the world kind of moves into this post-COVID era, whatever that looks like, do you think primary healthcare nursing as a profession is going to be better off or worse off due to COVID-19? Uh, look, Robbie, I think um, that there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, and APNA is a very, you know, we're a very positive um, organisation and, and are very forward-looking. So I think, yeah, primary health care has got a lot to be excited about. We all know that hospitals um, cost an awful lot to build. They cost an awful lot to staff and, and fit out and all that sort of thing. We also know that um, if a patient's given a choice of receiving care in a hospital or at home, that a lot of the time they would prefer to have their care at home where they can still have their family, um, you know, under, under the roof and in the space where they're familiar. 
So I really see, I see primary health care as the new black. <laughs> I really think that we are um, on the precipice of some, some major change and, and a really positive future where nurses are going to be used um, increasingly to their full scope of practice. I also think that, um, you know, we're going to get the skills mixed right and that the team-based care is going to really make a huge impact on the health of the nation. And Lisa, what do you think? I think it's a really good opportunity for primary health care nurses to step up and be seen, you know, valued, visible and respected. I think even though there have been the sadness of um, nurses not being recognised for the value, I think what we might see is um, when we start moving out of this, that people will realise, particularly the community community, Robbie, you know, when you think about uh, nurses having a look at their patient engagement, how difficult that's been, yet we know that, you know, there are nurses who've been bringing in shipping containers into car parks and they're still delivering cervical screening in those shipping containers. They're doing immunisation programs. They're doing all of that work that they're meant to do. They're setting up patient flow systems. They're doing the infection control measures. And I think what might happen and what we hope will happen is that people will come to recognise the true value. I think it's exciting. I think there is an opportunity. And I, I really hope that that comes to fruition. Sam, Lisa, you are both such wonderful advocates and representatives of primary healthcare nursing, for nursing and for healthcare in general. Thank you very, very much for your insights and for joining us here on Nursing Australia. Thanks, Robbie. Fabulous to chat. Thanks, Robbie. Primary Times is APNA's biannual magazine for primary healthcare nurses. Stay up to date with the latest news and features about the emerging trends in primary health, the vital role played by nurses in patient-centred care, and health policy updates from APNA. Our next edition showcases nurses leading the way in their communities across Australia, plus insights from some of the nation's most respected health leaders. Primary Times is an APNA member-only publication. The next edition will be distributed in the first week of November. This podcast is brought to you by APNA, the Australian Primary Healthcare Nurses Association, and is only made possible by our members. Join today. Google APNA membership. I'm a firm believer that there is no healthcare without self-care. In fact, there is no healthcare without self-care is the motto that I first came up with years ago when I started doing speaking and writing as Nurse Robbie. I really believe the importance of looking after ourselves so that as nurses we can look after others. In fact, I think it's really impossible to do the work that we love and are passionate about if we're not looking after ourselves first. In each episode of Nursing Australia, we will bring you a wellness segment specifically designed for nurses and tailored to help us look after ourselves. It's really, really important that we take our own wellness seriously so that we can have long-term sustainable careers. In this episode, we are joined by Sarah Cosgrave, who's going to take us through a five-minute guided meditation. I am so excited for this. Sarah is a Nourish Nurturer and founder of the global community, The Nurtured Nurse Project, which is amazing. If you haven't checked it out already, what are you waiting for? Please do. Well, wait till the end of the podcast and then go check it out. Trained as a critical care nurse, Sarah knows firsthand that nurses are facing not just the current pandemic, but a pandemic of an altogether different sort, nurse burnout. 
It is Sarah's mission to empower nurses with the tools and techniques to support their wellness so that they can continue sustainably supporting the journey of wellness in others. As a wellness consultant, Sarah supports nurses, guiding them to feel relaxed, reconnected, and re-energized within their mind, body, and soul. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Robbie. It's great to be here. And I loved what you said around no healthcare without self-care. Such an important message for our nurses during this global COVID pandemic. And important to remember during this time of anxiety and fear of the unknown to keep looking after ourselves. And today I have an opportunity to share with you an embodied meditation of release where we'll be using breath as a way to release tension and invite in the support we need at this time. So find yourself in a comfortable seated position. Ensure your feet are flat on the ground. Position yourself sitting up straight and comfortably. Be aware of the parts of your body touching the chair, the seat and your feet on the ground. Relax your hands on your thighs or in your lap. Become aware of your breath. In ancient traditions, breath is our source of life. Breath increases energy, mana, chi, supporting our ability to reset and relax our nervous system. As nurses, we are relied upon emotionally, physically, energetically, and it takes a toll, beginning to impact on our adrenal system. In this seated position, become aware of your breath, taking a deep breath in, expanding your lungs, and exhaling Notice as you empty your lungs, allowing your shoulders and scapula to relax and drop down your back. For this next process, we are extending our exhalation. Remember that when we increase the duration of our exhalation, we are activating our parasympathetic nervous system our ability to rest and digest. Now with each inhalation, breathing in four, three, two, one, and exhaling for six, five, four, three, two, one, inhaling four, three, two, one, and exhaling, six, five, four, three, two, one, and inhaling, four, three, two, one, and exhaling, six, five, four, three, two, one, and once more, inhaling four, three, two, 
one, and exhaling, six, five, four, three, two, one. We now notice any tension within the body or the mind and continue to breathe in. This time on the inhalation, visualizing a bright white light entering the crown of our heads, expanding through our lungs and cascading down through our bodies. And on your exhalation, with the exhale, you will now breathe out grey smoke, symbolising the release of any remaining tension within your mind or body. Continuing this process of inhalation, white light and exhalation, grey smoke, until you feel that the smoke has cleared. Sarah, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That was so beautiful. I am actually quite an avid meditator, but to be honest, I have found it really, really hard to carve out moments of stillness the way you so beautifully just did then during the pandemic. I I don't know whether it's the uncertainty. And so I am very grateful, as I know all of our listeners will be grateful about how well you helped us just get back to breath. And I think for everybody also, a really good point that Sarah made at the start, which was that 2020 is the year of the nurse and the midwife. And it's, I mean, of all the years for the for something like this to happen, it would be during the year of the nurse. Um, because, of course, we're just going to show up and we're going to do what needs to be done. But I think that's why it's even more important that we are looking after ourselves. So I really hope you all enjoyed that wellness segment as much as I did. Well, that brings us to the end of the first episode of Nursing Australia. I'm excited. I'm also devastated that the episode's over. Look, don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss the next and all future episodes. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not check out APNA's feature-style podcast, Not Just a Nurse? APNA's membership duo, Murphy Woods and Casey Mannix, invite a guest to have kind of an in-depth conversation and talk all things primary healthcare nursing, but then also some things that have nothing to do with primary healthcare nursing. Kind of like the time I was on Not Just a Nurse and went into this weird blackout about how much I love Kelly Clarkson. You can deep dive if you want to find that one. To listen, it is a phenomenal podcast. Visit apna.asn.au. I'm Nurse Robbie. Thank you so much for joining us on the first episode of Nursing Australia. If you want to follow me on any socials or find out what I'm up to, you can look me up pretty much on anywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at nurse underscore Robbie. Thanks again for listening to Nursing Australia. We'll see you next time. Nursing Australia, the podcast for Australian nurses working together towards a healthier Australia. For more information, please visit us at www.apna.asn.au. Thanks for listening to Nursing Australia.